drugs can cause liver damage and a host of other disorders. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Radio 3, live on the web, rthk.org.hk. Good morning from me, Peter Lewis. Welcome to the end of the week, Friday the 25th of November. It's 8.03, which means it's time for the morning business headlines here on Money Talk on Radio 3. Mainland China reported a record number of new COVID cases on Thursday. There were 31,444 infections, topping the number recorded in mid-April when the financial hub of Shanghai was in the midst of a two-month lockdown. Some of China's key cities have come to a virtual standstill. According to a Nomura report published yesterday, over 21% of China's total GDP is now under lockdown, up from 9.5% a month ago. China's state-owned banks have announced 220 billion renminbi, that's 31 billion US dollars, in credit lines for the country's struggling property developers. The loan signal Beijing has ordered government's support for the stronger players in the in the sector to try and prevent them from being dragged down by contagion from elsewhere. China's banks have been told to provide at least one trillion yuan, that's $140 billion, in funding in the final months of 2022 to the sector. The Bank of Korea has slowed its pace of rate hikes, raising its benchmark interest rate by 25 basis points to 3.25%, in line with expectations. The BOK's benchmark policy rate is now at the highest level in a decade. The central bank has raised rates by a total of 275 basis points since August last year. And the deadlock in Malaysia's 15th general election, which resulted in a hung parliament for the first time ever, was broken Thursday after Malaysia's king named reformist opposition leader Anwar Ibrahim as the country's Prime Minister. He becomes Malaysia's 10th Prime Minister after being opposition leader for two decades. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris, CEO at Econosis Advisory, and Martin Henniker, Head of Asia Investment Advisory at St James's Place Wealth Management. And with a view from India, is Toby Lawson at Societe Generale. Money Talk on RTHK. Gas markets were closed yesterday for the Thanksgiving holiday and they will open for just half a session later today. The Pan-European Stock 600 index, though, closed half a percent higher. London's FTSE 100 was unchanged on the day. Hong Kong stocks rose for a second day on Thursday after the Fed hinted it will slow the pace of interest rate hikes. Investors are also anticipating a cut in mainland banks' reserve requirement ratios after the State Council said that monetary tools will be used in a timely and appropriate manner to maintain reasonable ample liquidity. The Hang Seng Index rose 137 points, or 0.8%, to 17,661. Tech Index climbed 0.8%. The Shanghai Composite fell a third of a percent to 3,089. Chinese property developers surged in Hong Kong on news of more support from state-owned banks. The Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index jumped 6.8%, taking the gains so far this month to 36.5%. Long4 Group, one of the recipients of a new credit line, jumped over 12%. Sifi, Sifi leapt over 18%. 
Brent crude oil is a third of a percent lower at $85.12 a barrel this morning. Gold is trading slightly firmer at $1,756 an ounce. In the currency markets, the euro is at $1.04. The Japanese yen is 0.8% firmer at 138.61. Sterling jumped half a percent to $1.21 and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 46 cents. Chinese yuan is at 7.17 in offshore markets and the Hong Kong dollar is in the news this morning. Two prominent hedge fund managers, Bill Ackman, the founder and CEO of Pershing Square Capital, and credit trading veteran Boaz Weinstein, founder of Sabah Capital Management, have both revealed that they've taken sizable short positions against the Hong Kong dollar, betting the Hong Kong dollar will fall and that its peg to the US dollar will break. Bill Ackman wrote on Twitter, the peg no longer makes sense for Hong Kong and it's only a matter of time before it breaks. He went on to say, if China is indeed a strong, independent sovereign, why does it need to peg its currency and that of Hong Kong's to the US dollar? The Hong Kong Monetary Authority said yesterday it doesn't need nor intend to change the dollar peg system, which has been in place since 1983. And it added, individual market participants have expressed doubts about the linked exchange rate system from time to time. Most of these remarks are based on their misunderstanding of the system or their own fund positions. And finally, Bitcoin is up a third of a percent at $16,600. Taking a look around how Asia-Pacific stock markets are starting the final day of trading for the week, the ASX 200 in Australia is up 0.1%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is down 0.1%. Cosby in South Korea is off 0.2%. Looks like a small gain for the Hanks, uh, for the Hang Seng of about 40 points at the open this morning. The time's 8.09. It's time to welcome our regular Friday morning commentator, Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Egnosis Advisory, who's on the phone from London this morning. Thank you for staying up late, Andrew, for us. Yeah, I'm always delighted. It's amazing the things that I do for ITHK, Peter. <laughs> and I'm glad to hear you sounding so wide awake as well. Over at our Queensway studio, we have Martin Henniker, Head of Asia Investment Advisory at St. James's Place Wealth Management. Morning to you, Martin. Good morning, Peter. I'm delighted to be here as well, as Thank always. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you both for joining us. Now, look, COVID-19 cases, they've surged to 31,444. That surpasses the previous high of mid-April when Shanghai was under a citywide lockdown. Some of China's key cities have come to a virtual standstill. New infections in Guangdong, Chongqing and Beijing uh, have uh, authorities there have all tightened restrictions. Namur estimates that 48 cities are now subject to movement restrictions, affecting over a fifth of China's economy, and it estimates that more than 30% of the country's GDP will be under lockdown within the next couple of weeks. Andrew, do you want to kick off what's uh, the economic impact of all of this going to be? We seem to be back to where we were um, back in April. Yeah, actually, Peter, occasionally uh, criticizing China's uh, zero uh, COVID policy is like taking candy from the baby. I mean, it's very obvious and it is repeated. I prefer to try to see behind all this the potential trade-offs between China's economy, the COVID, and also its climate policy. Yeah, yeah, it's climate policy. It sounds, sounds a little bit uh, irrelevant. Now, uh, nearly 
40% of China's population over 80 is unvaccinated. And of course, they are in lethal danger uh, should uh, the, 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 the COVID really spread uh, widely. In between, okay, the economy continues to suffer. And at the same time, the suffering of the economy is combining with progressive loosening up of a large number of climate policies in China, including the use of coal. So in other words, we have a very unpleasant circle of consequences. Now, all these policies are man-made, and therefore it depends completely on the way in which the Communist Party will finally decide the potential trade-off between seeing a growing number of deaths amongst the older population and a greater number of damaging of the economy, and of course the clear evidence that the policy doesn't work. Unfortunately, it doesn't work in the sense that it clearly cannot control it. Okay. Mm. I mean, we can't get back, so, or China can't get back to zero COVID, can it, as other no, countries have proved. Once it's there, it's there. It's, it's as simple as that. But as I said, it's very easy to criticize. I'm trying to see, I'm trying to guess, in a sense, their own measuring. I mean, they know all the stuff and they don't need me uh, to hear this. And it is a continuous issue of, uh, of, of trading off unpleasance. Okay, my view is, is that the uh, doubling down on clauses will continue for easily one year. They're not going to give up that easily because it involves a huge political cost. Martin, what, what are your That's thoughts about the economic impacts of this? And if it does, as Andrew says, c continue for another year, what sort of damage is it going to do to the economy? Yeah, clearly, it's not really what we were all hoping for, right? Just when there were some signs of everything getting a bit better, you have... Um, you know, going back a step um, yet again. But how I would look at this, you know, as an investment advisor is always from, you know, the practical perspective of what does it mean uh, for investors or other market participants. So when you look at the equity market, um, and firstly, the thing to note is valuations are low. Uh, what has brought them down was the regulatory issues on the tech sector. Then you have the property issues. But both of those, you know, you really very clearly see the willingness of China, you know, to address them and, and, and to support growth now. Only COVID is not really 100% in their control, you could argue at least. Um, but the others are being addressed. You mentioned earlier, Peter, about the rescue packages or rescue loans. Um, that banks are providing now there was just being announced of 129 billion US dollar for the property sector so I'm sort of optimistic that with that being addressed and other issues and only COVID remaining we are going to somehow wiggle through and even if the economic growth during the next one year of Andre is right that it still you know is going to continue on a very slow basis um, uh, for a year, even if the economic growth is not that great, there isn't necessarily a direct correlation of equities and economic uh, growth. And and then after the one year, with markets always looking forward rather than backwards, and, you know, you could you could see potentially some rebound potential even before, and then uh, rallying potentially further uh, after. Let's not say that there are not risks. Of course, there are all sorts of ones, there are geopolitical ones, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So diversification is was great. Also better not to be leveraged. As you know, Peter, I'm always saying that. And now with all these uh, jitters going around the world on different topics, even in China, you see, you see sort of why that might be um, a wise thing. But if that's being taken into account, we definitely see great opportunities uh, from the investment perspective. Uh, also, we always put investing and, and those risks uh, 
in, in perspective is not investing where you have negative real interest rates on cash in most currencies. Mm. So you're really saying then that as a long-term investor, the best thing to do is, is almost ignore this. The fact that you know this is always going to be, as we've seen for a while, two steps forward, one step back, try and uh, phase that out and focus on some of the other issues. Yes, exactly. That's pretty much my message. In fact, Peter, just this morning, I saw a news headline on Bloomberg. It said, global growth to be as weak next year as 2009. And that's kind of interesting because in 2009, you actually saw quite a market rally. So you see that again, you know, matching this research that was done um, by the London Business School in 2014, analyzing 100 years of stock market history. They actually found a negative correlation of GDP with, with those returns. Again, you, you would want to make sure you have a long-term perspective and you don't need funding shorter term to be able to set out things that might not be anticipated. But generally, yes, typically when fear is greatest, pessimism is greatest, um, economic numbers are not that good, um, it, it's quite often a good time to um, be allocating to something that, that's inflation-proof in the long term as well. Andrew, this is having a global impact, isn't it? Because you can see some of the transmission mechanisms. If you look, for example, at the, the disruptions that we've seen at the Foxconn uh, iPhone factory in, in Zhengzhou, where um, you know, some of the, the workers there are, are virtually sort of rioting now. This is disrupting global supply chains, isn't it? Well, it, it does. Also, it disrupts quite massively a very substantial proportion of global tourist trade because... Uh, the Chinese tourist component uh, became very, very rapidly a very important component of tourism in Italy, in UK, uh, in, uh, in France, in Spain. And that, of course, has completely disappeared, let alone poor Hong Kong, where from 50 to 60 million visitors a year, we are now dropped to less than 100,000. Do, do, when you see this disruption, uh, the Apple Foxconn plants, does this? Do you think this accelerates the pace of shifting um, more electronics firms shifting their production outside of mainland China to, to countries like Vietnam and India? You know, I take a deep breath on that because that takes both a lot of planning, a lot of money, and uh, a lot of also additional distraction in the process of uh, building a new factory and then uh, 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 closing down an old one. And also, particularly I've heard that repeatedly, of uh, India becoming the second China, is the availability of trained, skilled labor force. Mm. That, that, that just doesn't come out of thin air. Martin. So the answer is, is yeah, I, I don't think this is of an immediate concern right now, that they will up, up and move. Okay. Martin, I want to pick up on something you mentioned, the property market support. Um, China's state-owned banks providing about $31 billion now in credit lines for what they perceive as being the stronger of, of the struggling uh, sort of property developers. So names like uh, like Vanky Media Real Estate, um, uh, China Overseas Land have all received loans now. How significant is this? Well, I think ultimately it really depends on the will of the government because it was also the government that triggered, you know, the crisis uh, in the first um, place. And, and possibly now there's a realization with other challenges to growth that it might have been a bit too tight, those red lines that I said before. And I think with this willingness to support, even in turn the banks are supported by the government, I think that it's quite likely that there's some degree of stabilization there. Now, does that mean you should all jump into high-yield property bonds and, and the developers 
um, you know, always a word of caution, uh, uh, particularly short term, is difficult to say. And there might still be some defaults happening here and there. But I, I don't really think personally that there's any risk of a systemic crisis, either in the banking sector as a result of this, um, and, and for things to sort of become uh, a bit more stable. Um, e- economy-wise, in terms of um, for this leading to a jump in growth, it still depends on the COVID picture. That's sort of the last piece of the puzzle um, that, that's, that's outstanding there in the shorter term. Medium to longer term, actually, there's only really one thing I'm quite worried about, or let's say what I'm, what I'm most worried about on China is um, the fertility rate issue or the, the low mm, birth the rates. Birth rate. yep. Yeah, yeah, I've mentioned that before, but um, I hope some incentives are coming out as well there. It's 1.16. Um, I mean, they, they have done a lot of measures to address that with bringing people in cities, mm. higher education, uh, automation, etc., etc. So all this green agenda, I think, is sort of not just only um, in, in terms of limiting greenhouse gases, but also uh, they have been having an eye sort of on the fertility question and challenge and looking at automation uh, for this reason as well, I believe. Okay. What happens to, I mean, these, these loans are going to the strong firms. Is this basically saying what happens if you're one of the firms that don't get the loans? Are they basically saying you're, you're going to go to the wall? <laughs> well, um, I, I would suggest that, you know, when you look at the strong firms and providing sufficient capital to them, um, they would probably also be having an eye at supporting those to help um, some of the weaker players, or if not some of the weaker players, then at least um, helping to mitigate um, problems re- resulting for ordinary citizens, say, uh, unfinished uh, buildings, etc., etc. So, you know, like my earlier comments, there might still be some companies uh, facing defaults, etc. So it's not to say, oh, now everything is risk-free and jump in with both feet in the diversification globally across sectors, across asset classes, etc., etc. It's always uh, really, really prudent. But I think it's an important step. And if you support the bigger players, they could sort of see where it might be worthwhile you know, assisting smaller ones that are still relatively healthy and just got affected by two straight measures, um, but, but, but should be coming around. Andrew, I suppose the key for the property market, isn't it, is trying to improve confidence among home buyers so that they actually start buying again and sales in the property sector on the mainland can recover. Does this do it? Does this help improve confidence? Well, if in fact we're having a new wave of uh, nearly as, as we heard, one-fifth of the population in China being under controlled again and restrictions and movements, I can tell you, the last thing you will be thinking whilst this is happening again and is likely to happen again is to go out and buy a flat. Uh, you know, uh, the, the measures they have taken might be very useful for the existing situation, but when I look at them, I just can't possibly think that they really believe that that is going to encourage people to go and buy. It may stop people from going bankrupt, Okay, it may stop people, it may stop companies from going bankrupt, and it may stop um, <laughs> to the extent of, again, mortgage strikes, but actually increasing sales, uh, I will beg to differ. There is a, an issue now between capital, uh, sort of stationary and floor aspects. Okay, finally, let me both... Uh, let me ask you both about the Hong Kong dollar. Back in the news, um, again, two billionaire hedge funds revealed they're shorting it. They think the peg uh, will break. One of them, Bill Ackman of, of Pershing, he basically says it doesn't make sense anymore uh, for Hong Kong to have the peg. He said if uh, China is a, a strong independent sovereign, why does it need to peg its currency and that of Hong Kong uh, to the US dollar? 
The Hong Kong Monetary Authority uh, says it has no intention of letting the peg go, and it points out uh, that when people have said this uh, in in the past, it's really they're talking about their own uh, positions or have a misunderstanding of the system. Martin, you, you kick off on this. This is a trade uh, that has wrong-footed some big-name investors in the past, like George Soros, when they've gone and shorted uh, the dollar in the Hong Kong dollar in the belief the peg is going to break. It's cost them a lot of money. Is the same thing going to happen? Um, yes, it was. Well, sorry, I'm not answering directly yet. So uh, George Soros, Kyle Bass as well, you know, they both sort of were sent limping home um, with significant uh, losses. And it's very possible that it might be happening again. Certainly, I think China might, you know, be seeking to support Hong Kong as well if there was a further pressure. One other thing to consider as well is that. Um, that notion is sort of based on the promise that the U.S. is so strong um, they can, you know, continue hiking without any big problems. But then Hong Kong's economy is weaker, and there's a, you know, somewhat of a point there. But I think one thing that people have been missing a bit when you look at the um, crisis in the UK gilts market, that was based on too much debt, probably. Uh, uh, possibly not just the mini budget. Eighty percent of that rise in gilt yields happened before. Mm-hmm. Now. Um, on Tuesday this week, you had a very, very weak seven-year treasury auction. Last month, there was a very weak 20-year auction, and you actually had to the to the date last month, October 25th, Janet Yellen saying, and I quote here, we are looking at a number of ways to improve resilience that's meant to be of the treasury market, make sure that intermediation is available, etc., etc. So there's a sort of wobbles that might indicate the high debt levels might limit central bankers' ability mm. to rise forever, if not the economy, if not the stock market, etc. You have the CBO warning about this, many others. So I think that's not really factored in um, so much. Uh, having said that, so I wouldn't suggest people try to um, speculate on the Hong Kong dollar depegging. Yes, mm. uh, there are other factors that, that could work against that. On the other hand, if one holds all of the assets in Hong Kong dollar, um, equally it's, it's going to be uh, cautious here and diversify globally. And nobody knows for sure what might happen. Okay. Um, Andrew, final word to you very quickly because we're running out of time. It's come at a strange time, hasn't it? Because actually the Hong Kong dollar is well, strengthening now that, um, you know, that Hong Kong dollar rates high bores above U.S. rates. Yeah, it is almost uh, for, for long-term residents like me in Hong Kong, it's almost a patriotic duty to say, no, the peg is not going to go. <laughs> Actually, what upset me in particular is in, in the both cases, there wasn't one nick, one absolutely tiny amount of economic analysis why the peg is going to get unpegged. This is, it's a bad idea to have the peg. Well, thanks very much. Yeah, why should it be unpegged? Well, it's because it's a bad idea. Thank you very much. I mean, this, this is a non-argument. Okay. okay, great. Well, thank you both very much. That's Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory, and Martin Henniker, Head of Investments Advisory at St. James's Place Wealth Management. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Twenty-six on the phone from Mumbai is Toby Lawson, Managing Director of Society General. Morning, Toby. Hey, good morning, Peter. Lots of things for uh, for investors to focus on at the moment, isn't there? What with the uh, the lockdowns in China um, increasing, also the Fed as well. We had the Fed minutes seem to be suggesting uh, that the pace of interest rate increases uh, is going to slow. Do you do you, do you agree with that? Do you see signs that inflation now is easing? 
Well, I think uh, the, the, the key word is that uh, in the minutes was soon. And what is the definition of soon? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this will be an interesting one. Uh, it one suspects that, the, that they may move to a 50 basis point hike, but more hikes are coming uh, into the early part of 2023. I think there is some indication that uh, inflation may be peaking, but it's certainly not retreating uh, aggressively. And uh, it's really the labour market tightness, which has probably got the Fed most concerned. How does it uh, try to analyse the, the tightness of the labour market? Is it real uh, or is it more perceptive? And uh, that'll be the balancing act the Fed are still working on. Has it has it got to change its targets? I mean, 2% seems a long way away now, doesn't it, for, for the Fed? Can it really get there in, in any sort of reasonable time frame? It, 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 we're at 7.7%, I think, on the CPI most recently, so it seems a long, long way away. Um, but things can change quite dynamically because a lot of the inflation necessarily um, might have been a function of supply chains that are starting to improve, um, a little bit of gouging that uh, often happens as a result of inflation expectation. Uh, once demand starts to come off, uh, inflation prices can move. But I do suspect the one thing that concerns them is a wage price spiral. Unlikely to happen you know, in, in, in the classic theoretical 1970s experience, uh, given the changing dynamics of the labour market, but um, there is still some concern in the Fed that as prices rise, labour market uh, the wages will go up, and then that creates the, the loop where inflation will become embedded. So I think the reason why they want to be still quite aggressive, despite the, a slightly better news on inflation, is that they don't want to let uh, it get out of control. Despite these interest rate rises and the strong dollar, emerging markets seem to be holding up better than quite a lot of the developed markets in this um, sort of environment. Where where do countries like India uh, sort of stand at the moment? So India is doing well, uh, relatively speaking. Uh, The domestic economy will grow probably more at at long-term trend rather than what we expected maybe at the beginning of the year where we're thinking 8%, now more likely around sort of 6.5%, which is the more longer-term trend rate trend rate for, for India. So it's certainly softened due to the external environment. The domestic economy is going pretty well. Uh, currencies have devalued, obviously, in line with dollar, but dollar strength is coming off. So some of those dynamics aren't too bad. And then one of the things probably be in the back pocket of emerging Asia in particular is China being locked up. Uh, if, it, if it starts to open up maybe in the second half of 23, there'd be a fair bit of pent-up demand and a bit of opportunity. So I think overall there are probably more tailwinds for countries like India uh, despite uh, what you're seeing in Europe and US in terms of uh, economic growth. And are you seeing, with these lockdowns increasing on the mainland, are you seeing any signs um, that companies are, are moving supply chains out of mainland China to countries like India? I think that's been going on uh, for a couple of years now. I think uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's accelerating uh, dramatically, but it's in, it's inevitably going to be part of a strategy for any business to diversify its supply chain um, because of what happened with the pandemic. So I think, uh, you know, energy security, supply chain management, logistics, all of those things are going to be much more uh, variable with a a pivot from China. Not necessarily because they don't want to be in China, but they just need to make sure that there's a balance. And what do you think? We're coming up to the end of the year, moving into 2023. If we look forward to next year, what's the big theme likely to be, do you think, or themes in in India that, that investors are likely to focus on? Well, investors seem to be quite comfortable to, to, to see the Indian economy on uh, above average trend uh, relative to the rest of the world. So we expect to see continued FDI. I think we expect to see the government continue to 
to drive infrastructure investment and to try to continue to provide uh, incentives through PLI schemes to to have more investment in, in sectors that are going to grow the economy. Um, obviously, uh, the external side of the uh, equation is going to be the one that most people will be watching to see if India can balance out with a, with a weaker global growth that the domestic economy can hold up. So I think that'll be the main theme for India. And more broadly, I think for the region will be how China comes out of uh, COVID pandemic uh, next year. Toby, thanks very much indeed. That's Toby Lawson, Managing Director at Societe Generale. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Around the markets, the SX200 still up 0.1%. The Nikkei 225 slipping a bit further, down about a third of a percent. Cosby and South Korea also down about uh, 0.1%. And looks like a flat open for the Hang Seng this morning. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great weekend. Please join me again on Monday morning. Coming up after the news, back chat with Janice Wong and Andrew Work this morning. The weather forecast, cloudy, one or two rain patches, maximum temperature about 24 degrees. Those rain patches are going to continue over the weekend and then sunny periods on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, 22 degrees right now, 91% relative humidity. Time's coming up to 8.32. Here's Tom Warden with the half-hour news. Thanks, Peter. New coronavirus cases have jumped by over 1,000 to 9,219 infections, including more than 700 imported cases. Officials attribute the rise to relaxed social distancing measures and an increase in incoming travellers. Undersecretary for Health Libby Lee also noted that immunity to the virus is waning, and she urged people to get fully vaccinated. She noted that BioNTech bivalent booster shots should be available in Hong Kong by early next month. If the situation turned very, very bad, like, you know, the whole medical system is collapsed, patient um, with COVID or no COVID, they cannot access any medical services. At that juncture, of course, we would need to further, we need to tighten the social distancing measures. Yet, this is the last things we would like to do. So that's why we would like to withhold the re- uh, relaxation at the current moment, status quo, and then we will observe the situation to see what the trend of the infection. The United Nations Human Rights Council has ordered an international probe into Iran's violent crackdown on women's rights protests. At least 300 people are thought to have been killed since nationwide demonstrations started eight weeks ago. A human rights lawyer with Amnesty International, Rahab Irani, says the mission's an important step forward. It sends a very strong message from the international community to the Islamic Republic of Iran that their crimes under international law and other serious human rights violations will no longer go unaddressed and unpunished. The establishment of this mechanism is very critical in the sense that it starts to collect and preserve evidence of crimes committed and therefore facilitates the path for future prosecutions. China tried to block the investigation, but its last-minute amendment was rejected. Envoy Jiang Yingfeng told the council the motion was overwhelmingly critical of Iran and that it would obviously not help resolve the problem. The lower house of the Russian parliament has unanimously extended a law banning material deemed LGBT propaganda aimed at children to prevent its dissemination to the entire population. The bill increases the fines applicable to transgressors. The Speaker of the Duma, Vyacheslav Volodin, said the legislation would protect the country from what he called the darkness spread by the West. But Ksenia Mikhailova, who is a lawyer with the LGBT group coming out, said members of the LGBT community were scared. Nobody knows how it will be applied. 
and uh, this is why um, at uh, this moment uh, we have no idea of how to protect ourselves and other people in any casual situations when they are speaking loud about their sexuality uh, they can be afraid of um, report to police that they uh, commit the administrative office the news from RTHK